let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I want you to imagine a situation where you are having, you are showing hospitality, having someone come over to your house for a dinner, a dinner party. And you cook them a great meal, or you're, you're hoping to cook them a great meal. You're making, let's say, steak and mashed potatoes. And everyone sits down for the meal, and you've spent your time cooking it and preparing it, and you lay it out before them uh, to, to enjoy. But as, as people pick up their fork and knife and begin to cut into the food and start to take their first bites, you look over and you notice that what you have served is rotted. The steak is rotted, smells bad, looks bad. The mashed potatoes, bugs start to crawl out of it. And, and the guests are, at first, they're too polite to say anything, so they just kind of choke it down, but they, they have to wash it down with something, so they go to take a, a drink of milk and, and uh, they, the, to wash down the bad taste, and the milk is sour. And you're just mortified at this situation, as you would be. Now, this, this seems like a, an unbelievable situation, because who of us would ever do such a thing as that with, with food, that we would set before people something that rather than be uh, nourishing for them and helpful for them and, and, and helping them to have strength in their bodies, instead it would make them sick. And it would be unpleasant to be around. And we would never do that with people, with with our food. But do we do that at times? Have we either been on the giving or the receiving end of that with how we speak to one another? Have we been at times uh, in a situation where what we were saying was not nourishing to the people that were hearing it. Maybe they were too polite to say anything, so they just stomached it down, but it didn't make them built up. It didn't strengthen them, but it instead made them feel sick and discouraged. Or maybe we've been on the uh, receiving end of that, where we've been in a situation where uh, it was much harder for us to push that plate of rotted food away from us, but instead we had to be subjected to hearing words that didn't nourish us and, and support us, and instead made us sick to hear them. Well, hopefully this helps illustrate what is being written about here in Ephesians 4.29, which is about the speech that comes out of our mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So there's the negative side of the command. And then on the positive side is this. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now the language here in this is from where I derive my analogy. And I... I uh, realize that it's a little bit of a vivid analogy and not very pleasant to hear, 
But I hope it gets across the point that is being made here that our speech ought to be good to the use of edifying. To edify means to nourish, to build up, to strengthen. So if you were serving food that was to edify, that food would be nourishing, it would be good tasting, it would be uh, nutritious for the person receiving it. And that is how our speech is supposed to be. Good to the use of edifying, that it may minister, that is serve. Uh, and, and here we have the image of you, you're serving people food and you're, you're handing it out. You're ministering what, though, with your speech? It ought to be ministering, serving grace. You ought to be handing out and feeding those that hear your words with grace, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, the very fact that this instruction is here in this letter demonstrates to us that our words are very powerful. That is that our words have the ability that they, that they have in them the function that they have the ability to minister grace to the hearer. That they can be good to the use of edifying. That your words have the power to build people up or on the other side to tear people down. So this is uh, what I want to look at today as we consider is that we consider our conversation, our words. We consider what proceeds of our communication out of our mouth. That this is an important subject ought to be obvious for many of the verses, even in this letter. Let me read a few places in Ephesians and then we'll go over to Colossians and also Proverbs where it speaks about the importance of our communication. Back in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, it says this, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. And then later on in verse 31, Uh, In verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Ephesians 5 verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Now I'll flip over to Colossians and look at Colossians chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And then over in that same chapter, Colossians three sixteen, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In the book of Proverbs, which instructs the hearer in all kinds of wisdom for life, many, many of the instructions have to do with our speech. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. 
The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 13.3 He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Two more verses, Proverbs 15.2 The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. And 15.4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Hopefully, with, with that and many that I have not read in the scriptures, it ought to be clear to us how important our speech is, how we speak to one another. And the... The tongue is very powerful. I'll give you another analogy. This is based off of one in scripture, but I've adapted a little bit. Um, most of us have gotten uh, on our way here. We've either, you know, all of us either drove a car or we were driven in a car. And in that car, as you uh, sit in the driver's seat of that car, that car weighs, I don't know, something two tons, I, uh, some, some very large amount that none of us here could pick up or move of our own strength. And yet in that car, you're able to sit in that seat, and as you push that gas pedal, that steering wheel, uh, just moving it just the slightest bit one way or another, causes the whole car to move in the direction that you direct it. That steering wheel, compared to the whole mass of that car, is a very small part but is very powerful. And so it is with our tongue. And the Apostle James uses the example of a rudder in a ship. Uh, But most of us haven't steered a ship before, but a rudder in a ship is very small compared to the mass of these great ships. And yet a a slight movement of that can direct the whole course of it. And so we see that the uh, power of our tongue to direct our own selves and things around us is immense in power. There's also a relationship of the heart to the tongue that Jesus speaks about. He uses, for example, the uh, idea of a tree and the tree's fruit. And he says of our speech, he says, out of the treasures of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is that uh, sooner or later, the condition of your heart is going to be revealed to those around you by the words that you use. You know, no, none of us see the heart like God sees the heart. This is something I've, I've thought about a lot, meditated on. It says of Jesus that he knew men's hearts. And that's not true of us in that sense. We, don't, we can't look and see perfectly into people's hearts. But uh, sometimes people will make the statement, you can't know somebody's heart. Um, Well, not like God does, but he does say that out of the treasures of the heart, the mouth speaks. That what comes out of the mouth reveals to everyone around us the condition of our heart. And so how you speak, how you speak affects your heart and how the condition of your heart is affects your speech. So there's this a symbiotic relationship between how you talk and the condition of your heart and they feed on each other. And so hopefully this demonstrates how powerful it is and how important this subject is. So with that, let us consider 
Uh, in Ephesians 4.29, both sides of this. First, what is corrupt communication? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let me give you some examples from the scriptures that illustrate the types of things that make up corrupt communication. And I'll say this first uh, of these examples, that this will not cover all the types of corrupt speech. So I leave it to you to fill in some of the blanks or to go back to the scriptures and give consideration and prayer to your speech of where it may fall in this category of being corrupt. But we are commanded, we are instructed, we are exhorted to not let our speech be corrupt, to not let our communication that comes out of us be corrupt. So here are some examples. First of all, lying. Lying was mentioned several times in what we, what we read. 25, wherefore putting away lying, let every man speak, uh, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Lying has the power to do great harm and destruction. And that is embodied in, in, in its most intense form, I think, in one of the commandments. One of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament was this. It was uh, not to... Let, let me read it. Deuteronomy 5.20. Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That... That ought to demonstrate how destructive lying can be to our neighbor. And that is a very extreme example. You're, you're, you're standing up in court and you're, test, you're making a testimony against somebody, but that testimony is false. You're saying this, this man committed this crime and, and your testimony could result in him being punished, thrown in prison and suffering Because of your testimony, and if that testimony is false, you are using lying to do destruction to somebody else, to cause harm with our words. That is a great example of how much harm corrupt communication can do to others. And so we are to put away lying. Don't bear false witness against thy neighbor. That is an intense example, but we also can do harm with... uh, Dishonest speech in more subtle ways as well. In more subtle ways. Think about ways that by not telling the truth or by telling a lie, you could do harm to someone else. Perhaps it is uh, sometimes as simple as saying with your words that uh, something somebody's doing that you know is harmful and destructive. But in your words, you give approval to it. You give affirmation to what they're doing, even though you know it's wrong and you know the harm that it will bring. And thereby your dishonesty, it results in harm for that person. And so we are encouraged to be people of truth. Think of the words of our Lord Jesus and how he encouraged us. He said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Sometimes you can do harm to someone in a subtle way. By not being a person of your word, by saying you're going to do something, by saying you're going to be somewhere, by saying somebody can depend on you and then not following through with what you have said you are going to do. It might not seem as bad or as extreme as bearing false witness, but it can still do great harm. So Jesus tells us to be people of our word. When we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. And people know that the words that come out of your mouth, they can depend on it. Are you a person of your word? 
Are you someone that stands by what you said, that says what is true and follows through with what you say? And so let no lying put away lying and speak truth. Another example is gossip. Proverbs 20, 19 says this, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. One of the words for a gossip in the King James English is a talebearer. It's, it's quite illustrative of what this is like. Someone who's going around telling stories. They might be true, they might be lying, they might be uh, mixed, but they're, they're spreading things around. And the, and the scriptures speak about how destructive that can be. How destructive it can be to be talking about people behind their backs. Spreading trouble in doing so. Uh, I love this. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth. Where there's no wood. You know, you've probably all seen a campfire or, a, or in a wood stove. And if the wood runs out... The fuel is gone. It can't burn anymore. And that flame just dies down. And that's how it is sometimes with the troubles and the strife and the conflicts that we experience in our day-to-day lives, at our work or in our families. Do you know that sometimes some of those conflicts, some of the strife that exists, if people weren't talking about it and spreading it around and talking about people behind their backs, how much of that might just die down and fizzle out. Where no wood is, the fire goeth out, but where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. There's another word, whisperer. A whisperer separateth chief friends. How can someone's whisperings, how can someone's words spoken quietly behind their backs cause two people that are best of friends to be torn apart and to be separated? That's how insidious this can be. Now, there are there are times, uh, particular times when it's when it might be right to talk about a person or a situation Without them, but I would encourage you to think that those times, to recognize that those times are far in the minority, that they ought to be the exceptions. That most of the time, if you have something to say to somebody or about somebody, you should say it to them and not go spreading it around to everybody else. Err on the side of telling people directly, of being direct with people when you have something to say. But that's not. Most of the time, it's not edifying, it's not to build up, but the things that we say, did you see what he did? Did you hear about what she said? And we're, we're not doing it to build people up. We're not doing it to nourish people. We're doing it to tear down. And on the other side of that, sometimes to lift ourselves up, to make ourselves look good. That's what uh, speaks about with flattery. Why do people flatter with their lips? Why do people say things that aren't true or they twist the truth to try to lift themselves up. This is not how a Christian ought to be using our communication. We ought to be using it not to puff ourselves up, but to encourage others. And that brings me to the next one, which is another kind of corrupt communication, boasting or uh, bragging. 
this is, this is uh, spoken about also in the Proverbs. It says this, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. You know, no one likes anybody who's going around just talking about how good they are all the time. So, so let someone else speak well of you. It's not bad to be spoken well of. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. But let that come from someone else. Best of all, may it come from the Lord. And let our uh, boasting be in the Lord. Let what we are quick to speak about and to uh, brag about, if you will, ought to be the grace and the goodness of God to us. Or, or our thankfulness for the, for the gifts of God and God's work in the lives of other people. And we'll leave it to the Lord to, to speak well of us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verses 17 and 18, it says this, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commandeth himself is, commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And so we are encouraged not to speak proudly, but to speak with humility. Not to boast, but to exalt and glory the Lord. Uh, last example I'll give is, is spoken of here, the vulgar, crude, unclean speech that it speaks about. Uh, I read this, Ephesians 5, 4, filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. This speaks about that crude speech, vulgar joking, dirty jokes, these types of things. This, uh, this word jesting, this speaks about the kind of, this isn't about uh, just humor. It's not about being uh, joyful or making a joke. This is, this is speaking about that kind of uh, speech, the way of speaking and interacting with people that adapts itself to whatever that social setting is, no matter how inappropriate or blasphemous or vulgar or crude. It wants to be the one to say the thing that gets the laugh out of everybody, say the thing that makes you look smart, that makes you look like you are uh, a, a sophisticated person that is up with the times of the culture. And, and as Christians, that not ought to be the desire that we have. Our desire ought to be that our words are full of grace and of truth, that they might do good to those that hear them, that whether it, people think we're foolish because we speak those things or whether people are pleased with what we say, that that not ought to be what matters to us. What ought to matter is that the Lord is pleased with the speech that comes out of our mouth. And so we are encouraged not to speak in such a way that would, uh, would be filthy or, or, or foolish or uh, right along with that is leading others to stumble and to sin because of our speech. That's, that's really the, the heart of it. That's really what, what is wrong with this type of speech is that it would cause others to be uh, tempted or to be inclined to sin because of that speech. Uh, filthy communication, he says, to put out of our mouth. All right, now let me, let's, let's look at the other side because this, this is a two-edged commandment here, how we're not supposed to speak 
But the, uh, the, the, the outcome is not just that we ought to remain silent. As we start to reflect on our own speech, we might realize that uh, so much of what comes out of our mouth is not, is not building up, is not nourishing, but is corrupt. And, and if that's the case, we might want to just keep our mouths shut sometimes. And, and that's not all bad, but uh, that's not the commandment here, is not just to be silent, but to replace that corrupt communication with instead communication that is good to the use of edifying our neighbor and our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so let us talk about examples of gracious speech. Gracious speech, first of all, is full of wisdom. It's full of wisdom. Proverbs fifteen seven: The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge. Not true knowledge, true God-honoring, God-fearing wisdom and knowledge are being uh, spread forth by the lips of the wise. And so that ought to be our type of speech. We already touched on this, but gracious speech is full of truth. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Uh, blessing is another example. Blessing. Uh, remember Jesus uh, said that we're to bless those that curse us. And in saying that, he demonstrated how our speech, how the way we speak is to be based on God's grace in our lives and God's truth and not just based on how people speak to us. It also shows that uh, our speech ought to be in accordance with God's word and his commandments Sometimes, regardless of how we might feel in the situation, you know, if, you, you might have all been in this situation at a time in your life where someone was cursing you in one way or another. I've been in that situation. I've been in a situation where someone was uh, saying insulting things about me, about people I loved, making false accusations against me, it, uh, abusing me in all kinds of ways with their words. And I didn't, I, I didn't feel good about that. If you were in that situation, you wouldn't feel good about what they were saying. You're, it starts to rise up in you a desire to defend yourself, a desire to strike back against them, a desire to, to uh, meet their cursing with your own cursing back at them. But Jesus says, bless those that curse you. Here's the Webster's 1828 definition of to bless, to pronounce a wish of happiness to one, to express a wish or desire of happiness. I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with pronouncing the blessing on the one that's cursing you. Uh, Jesus expressed a, a desire of good, even for those who were actively uh, instrumental in his execution at the crucifixion. He said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so even when he was being actively harmed and attacked, the words that were coming out of his mouth were for the good of even those doing him harm. So this is, this is a, this is Jesus's instructions is immensely practical here because he's not telling you something you can't do. He's telling you what you can and what you ought to do in that time, 
When someone's cursing you, what you say in return, you wish them well. In whatever way is right in that situation, you wish their good, their happiness, you wish them well, and you don't respond with the cursing. Uh, Another example of gracious speech that builds up, a loving rebuke, a loving rebuke, correction. Uh, It can sometimes be uncomfortable to rebuke someone, to correct a friend or to point out something, but this can be speech that builds up and encourages. Proverbs 27, 5 to 6 says this, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And then in another proverb, it says this, Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Uh, that's one of the ways you'll, you'll, you'll find out, too, about someone's wisdom and someone's humility is, is if you do ever have opportunity to correct them or rebuke them. The response that they have, if they respond by attacking you, if they respond by hating you, then, you, then it's revealed to you that their heart is not in a condition where they're ready to receive that rebuke. But if they respond with love and with appreciation then you see that they have a wise heart. They have a wise heart. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Open rebuke. This is a very interesting and powerful statement. Open rebuke is better than secret love. You know, if if you had a friend and you were walking along with this friend and you see that that friend is walking toward a pit in the road and their path is leading them straight towards it. You know that the loving thing to do would be to tell them that the path that they're on is a path that leads to destruction. And so you would tell them, not out of a desire to um, make them look bad or make them feel bad, but because you know that the truth, that the truth for them is going to be to their help. And so uh, even though sometimes it's uncomfortable and and. And I tend to think, you know, those times where you have to rebuke someone in your life, where you have to bring up an uncomfortable topic and tell them that what they're doing is not good, those can, those can be some of the hardest things for us. And if they're not hard for you to do that, if it's not difficult for you to do that, then you might want to check what your motivation is. But if your motivation is for their good, then oftentimes it's going to be difficult. We don't want to have those conversations. We don't like to have those conversations. So when we do, we we do it out of love. We do it out of love. And, and, And remember that because every one of us, you know, we're here to support each other. We're here to encourage each other. We're here to lift each other up. So if you're on the other side of that, which we all are, all either have been or will be at some time or another. I know I have many times in my life. I've been on the other side of that where someone came to me and they said what you're doing or what you said or this wasn't right. It's not easy to hear. Our natural inclination is that our defenses go up. Whenever somebody says something critical about me, my natural inclination is to defend myself, to justify myself. And we have to fight that natural inclination Take it to the Lord and realize that, you know, if someone is, is, has 
been willing to take on that discomfort of coming to me and, and saying something that they know I might not want to hear, then you know, I, I, I ought to be like that wise man and love the one who, who rebukes me. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee and, and receive it well. Here's another example often spoken of in scripture of edifying communication. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Uh, this is in verse 4 of Ephesians 5. Not the foolish talking, not the jesting, not the filthiness. These are not convenient. That is, they're not, these aren't appropriate. These aren't fitting. These aren't suited to the Christian's communication. But rather, it says, giving thanks. Giving thanks. In another letter, it says, in all, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And uh, in uh, Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much of our, of our speech can be, I believe, transformed if we give attention to being more and more thankful in the way that we express ourselves. Thankfulness. Thankfulness to God for all the good gifts in our lives. Thankfulness to one another. Thankful to God for one another. Thankful to one another for the kindness that we're shown to the service that we do for one another. And so I encourage you, if you find corruption in your speech, if you think things about the way that you talk that don't line up with the, the spirit of God in your life, then this is what you can replace it with. A, a spirit of gratitude and words that are constantly giving thanks to God for the good things that he's done. Giving thanks, he says, always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in conclusion, that's what I'll point your attention to, our Lord Jesus Christ. We all fall short of this. And we all, even with our best efforts, our, our speech is going to be impure because of the impurity of our hearts. But we have an example to look to. And that's the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have one who, more than even just being an example, the one who, whose words are always spoken with such perfection and purity and truth and grace. His words which built up those who were downcast. His words which encouraged the discouraged. His words which rebuked those who were in sin and, and called them to righteousness. In our, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, it was said of him that he spake as never a man spake. And people were in awe of his words and the gracious words that he spoke. He offered comfort to sinners. Rather than speaking words of condemnation, he spoke words of grace. He called out and he, and he uh, spoke truth about the, the wicked and the oppressors in his day. He always, in every case, spoke with wisdom and with grace and with truth. So look to the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and may our life.
coming back to this theme that I've brought up in Ephesians about how the life of the church is with the calling to live out the life of Jesus Christ in this world. Let us seek and strive to do so when it comes to our speech of the one who said he is the truth, the way, the truth and the life. May we be people of truth and grace in our speech.